Hi there and welcome. The First Christian Church podcast ministry features the teaching and preaching of the First Christian Church in downtown Roseburg, Oregon. Here's today's message. Chapter 4. Thank you, church. You are on it. Acts chapter 4. We're going to go into Acts chapter 5 today, and we're going to read quite a striking narrative of God's judgment, his justice, and how swift it comes down on a couple of people. Today's message is power, grace, generosity, and pretenders. Power, grace, generosity, and pretenders. And so as we read what we're about to read and what we have been reading for the last four chapters is really nothing short of miraculous as we read through the book of Acts. Um, All the time that the disciples spent with Jesus in the Gospels really prepared them for the church moving forward. Um, And so what we're reading is the birth of the church. We're reading about the Holy Spirit, something they heard about for the first time way back in the Gospels in John 15. They heard about this advocate. They heard about this comforter coming. They heard about this person that would, in essence, take the place of Jesus. And when they first heard those words, they thought, well, no one can take your place, Jesus. No one can take your place. And yet what Jesus intended, what God intended, is that instead of having a physical embodiment of God, we would have this spirit embodiment of God. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes I daydream. Never on a Sunday morning, though, right? But sometimes I daydream and I think to myself, what would it have been like to walk with Jesus, to walk with the disciples, to see all of these things unfold and all of the things you would be able to see with your eyes and and see the miracles that would happen. One of the advantages that, uh, that God was trying to give the church in the early days is instead of having this physical embodiment of Jesus that they had to touch and feel, that they would be gifted the Holy Spirit that would go with them wherever they went. In fact, in Acts chapter 1 in verse uh, 6 through 8, um, the disciples thought they were ready. They say this, they said, when they had come together, the disciples asked him, said, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? You've already died, you've already been buried, you've already been resurrected. Isn't it time now for the kingdom? Isn't it time for us to be in charge? Isn't it time for us to rule and reign instead of Roman occupation? And this is how Jesus responds. He said, no. He said, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive, everyone say that word, power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. So in the first chapter, we get this window into what we're about to read for the next few pages in the book of Acts. He said, the power and you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And what's interesting is as we take a look into uh, Acts chapter 1, we really get a sense of what the purpose of the book is uh, in general. And so before we dive into Acts chapter 4, I want to review the purpose one more time. It says this, Acts tells us how God directs the expansion of his kingdom throughout the world through a spirit-empowered church, despite two circumstances, right? Despite, number one, internal obstacles, 
and external opposition. Today in Acts chapter 5, we're going to see those internal obstacles come to light. So we're in Acts chapter 4. We'll begin reading in verse uh, 32. If you have your notes, there's some ways for you to follow along. If you have uh, the Bible app, you can follow along there as well. Just go to the events page and you can find today's notes. Acts chapter 4 verse 32 says this. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. No one said that any of these things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. I want to read this verse again. See if you can identify some early characteristics of these new believers. The full number of those who believed were of, say that next phrase, one heart and soul. So they had things in common. They were united as it were. It goes on to say, no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. In other words, when they had physical, material properties, they no longer claimed it was their own. That last phrase says this, but they had everything in common. If you're following in your notes as we get started this morning, generosity was evidence of the work of the Holy Spirit among them. Generosity was evidence of the work of the Holy Spirit among them. This unity was wonderful evidence of the work of God's Spirit among them, and because of their unity, they regarded people more important than things. People were more important than things. In your life, how often do you come across moments where things get damaged or things are at stake, and you have to make a conscious decision to say, I'm going to value people more than things right now. How many of you had kids? Right? Right? And all of a sudden, something is broken, something is damaged, something is spilled, something is um, ruined, something of, of material value is ruined. And in that moment, you have a decision to make, right? And sometimes we make the wrong decision. Uh, they valued people more than things. They recognized God's ownership of everything, and it all belonged to God. Again, generosity was evidence of the work of the Holy Spirit among them, and because God had touched their lives so deeply, they found it easy to share all things in common. So in your life, when you think about giving, when you think about being generous, uh, think through what are the obstacles, what are the uh, thoughts in your mind that prevent you from being generous. Because God had touched their lives so deeply, they found it easy to share all things in common. Now, we get a couple of these verses at the end of Acts chapter 2. Uh, the, uh, it's very similar wording as the verses we just read. The Bible says something like, um, they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there was added to them about 3,000 sold. And the next verses say they brought everything together, all of their possessions, they lived together, and they gave everything together. And over the years, um, people will try to identify this value as communism. And I just want to kind of share a couple of things about that. Because um, on the surface, I can understand how you look at this and say, well, this looks very similar to what a communism ideal would be. But it's not accurate to call it that. Uh, what we're seeing here is true Christian fellowship. 
The Greek word for fellowship is this word koinonia. It means uh, fellowship or communion with God and communion with others. So communism says this, what is yours is mine, so I'll take it. Uh, fellowship says this, what's mine is yours, so I'll share it. Right? There's a difference there. Uh, communism is forced. Fellowship is voluntary. Communism is external. There's an external force influencing your possessions. Fellowship is internal, where you yourself, because of the grace given to you, because the communion you experience with God and with others, now desire to share those things, to be generous. We'll read on in verse 33. It says this, with great power, the apostles were given giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. And it's beautiful because lest we forget the reason why they were being so generous, Luke reminds us in verse 30, 33. With great power, these apostles were sharing the testimony of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. I think an important uh, word here, if we're just parsing this word in this specific translation, is where it says this, with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. I think it's so powerful to think about that the disciples were moved by the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and every one of them had a testimony of what that meant and what that did in their life. So what does the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ do for you? How does the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ influence you? You know the reason why people come to church? Invariably, people come to church because of people. It's because someone invites them. It's because you share an experience. It's because you're involved. You're on a team together at church. Uh, someone invites you, you. You sit with them. Um, but it's because of the Lord Jesus Christ resurrecting each of our lives, our stories are now more powerful as we submit our testimonies to what God is doing for us. The verse ends this way, great grace was given, was upon them all. Next in your notes, great power and great grace were the result and the root of the attitude of generosity. You see, Acts 4.32 says they put God first, people second, and material things a distant third. So the central place of the resurrection of Jesus Christ was indicative of their belief of what had happened because they were witnesses. And because of that, grace was upon them. The Bible says great power, great grace. Theologians have literally described this as mega grace. Mega power is upon them. This word grace here is, is God's favor. His favor was upon them all. We read on in verse 34. It says this. What a powerful statement. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Again, there's no forced element here, there's no requirement. Uh, there was not even, uh, there was not church membership at this time. There was no organized leadership structure in the church. But it simply said there was not a needy person among them. 
because this is what happened. When people owned lands or houses, they would sell them. They brought the proceeds of what they had. They laid it at the apostles' feet. That's a, uh, that's a verbal description. It's a, it's a picture of what they did. They submitted that money to the apostles, and the apostles would simply distribute to each as they had need. I, I, just, I, just, I just sat on this verse for all this week, on verse 34, where it says this, there was not a needy person among them. What a beautiful picture of the love of Jesus Christ moving in us so much that no one had any physical material needs. This radical giving was absolutely necessary to meet the needs of this rapidly growing church. It was a practical thing as well as a spiritual thing. Since Pentecost, there was this large number of people who believed and many of them were from distant lands. And without permanent homes and jobs in Jerusalem and Judea, those who stayed in Jerusalem to learn more about being followers of Jesus Christ needed special support from the Christian community. So people just gave. They gave voluntarily so that these people could be sustained. Unfortunately, this generosity of the early Christians soon began to be abused. And over the course of time and history, we find ourselves perhaps like we are, That when someone raises their hands and says, I need something, it's such a sad state for me or for us to be conditioned to be suspicious. Would God help us to get rid of that suspicion? I will say this, though. um, There are times and ways to discern um, for our church how to be generous. Uh, It's no secret we are in downtown Roseburg. We are in an area that uh, many transient live and go by, and oftentimes, not nearly as much as it used to be uh, five or six years ago, but oftentimes we'll have people come by and they'll just need things. I think we're strategically located right across the Douglas County Jail. So as people get released, the first thing hopefully they see is a beacon of hope, a place that stands for hope and second chances and deliverance. But oftentimes, they'll get released from the jail and will be on their way to uh, downtown or to the mission. And oftentimes, we'll get asked for physical things. Um, And you pray for us as we decide. The scripture gives us um, some, if you want to write these down, I didn't put them in your notes, but the scripture does give us some ways to be discerning about how we are generous. Um, 1 Timothy 5, 3 tells us the Church must discern who the truly needy are. Uh, We need to pray and ask God's discernment. Um, 2 Thessalonians 3 and verse 10 and 12 tells us if one can work to support himself, that person is not truly needy and must provide for his own needs. Um, 1 Timothy 5 says if a family can support needy people, then, then that's what should happen. Again, in 1 Timothy 5, those who are supported by the church uh, should make some return to the church body. I think one of the most beautiful things I've seen over the years is is opportunities where we have been generous as a church uh, with no expectation on our generosity. But I remember last uh, summer, uh, someone came in um, and uh, we had been helpful to them probably four years ago. And we were generous as a church. And, um, and several people said, 
I have some ways I want to be generous. Do you know someone? We directed those funds to these people. Uh, and she was without a job, and she had some young children. Three or four years later, she came into the office uh, unannounced and just gave us $1,000. Several times over what we had given her. And simply said, God has blessed me. I've got a job. I'm on my feet. And one of the first things I wanted to do was repay what the church had given me. Uh, that's a scriptural thing to do. First uh, Timothy 5 says this, it's right for the church to examine moral conduct before giving support. Um, so there's all these different ways scripture does give us uh, guidelines on how we help, um, but it becomes, this, uh, it becomes a very um, difficult thing to do uh, in light of perhaps past suspicions or different ways that many of us have been generous to people in the past and have been abused by that generosity. And so I want you to think through, what does it look like for you to be generous in your own life as we continue to read the narrative? Verse 36 says this, Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So you understand what's happening. In verse 34, they say, well, here's generally what happened. People would sell property. They would sell uh, uh, what they own, and they would bring the money to the apostles. Verse 36, here's this one specific incident of when it happened. Barnabas, I love his, his nickname, is son of encouragement, right? Everywhere he went, he would just encourage people. We continue reading in Acts chapter 5, verse 1, because the narrative continues. So on the heels of this gift by Joseph, this is what happens in Acts chapter 5 and verse 1. But, a but gets in the way. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. Same thing that Joseph did, Barnabas. Verse 2, with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now here's the interesting thing. No sin is committed in verse 1 and 2. In fact, it reads very similar to the last two verses of Acts 4. They had this property. They sold it. Barnabas, it, it, it tells us that um, uh, he brought the money. And laid it at the apostles' feet. The only difference here is they kept back a portion and they brought the rest to the apostles' feet. As we unpack this there in your notes, their sin was really this. It was pretending to be more spiritual than they actually were. We're going to unpack how they lied to the Holy Spirit, how they lied to Peter, the greed, the, the fact that they thought of themselves first and then the others but in essence, their sin was this. They were pretending to be more spiritual than they actually were. It's interesting because after they saw the generosity of Barnabas, I believe what ended up happening is they saw how well he was respected. I think they saw perhaps that he got his name printed in the bulletin. I think there was a plaque that went up in the lobby. And they said, my goodness, our property is about to sell for way more than Barnabas's, if we just keep back a little bit for ourselves for the rainy day, just in case we need it, we would still end up giving way more than Barnabas. 
You see, their sin was just pretending to be more spiritual than they were. So they sold their possession. They gave only a portion to the church while implying that they sacrificially had given it all. Now, the ancient Greek word here for this uh, word in verse 2 that says he kept back for himself is nosimai, which sounds like my sneezes this week. Um, But it's the Greek word, and it means this, to misappropriate. And it's the same word that was used in Joshua chapter 7. Joshua chapter 7 is the story of the Israelites. They have a battle coming up against Ai. They, uh, they can physically outman AI pretty easily. In fact, I was reading it this morning. Joshua says, man, we don't even need to send our whole army. We can send two or 3,000 and we'll be fine. They go up, they go against the battle of AI, and they are defeated soundly. And it's because, uh, because of the sin of Achan. Achan misappropriated uh, plunder that was to be destroyed or given. He took it back for himself. And this is the only two times in Scripture this Greek word is used, to misappropriate, back in Joshua 7 and now here in Acts 4. So the story of Ananias is the book of Acts is what the story of Achan is to the book of Joshua. In both narratives, an act of deceit interrupts the victorious progress of the people of God. You think about what's happening in the book of Acts. We have them waiting for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes upon them. Miraculously, they start preaching, and people from all sorts, uh, from all places, are now hearing the gospel for the first time in their native language. They go out, and 3,000 people are saved. Uh, They go to the temple, and and, uh, the, the man who's lame is now healed. Uh, They go and uh, Peter and John are arrested and they're released because we quote from scripture, without cause, there was no reason to keep them any longer. And all of a sudden, Acts 4 happens and the church is moving, their church is growing, there's progress, there's momentum, there's unity, and there's just a couple of pretenders right in the middle of it. They both wanted the image of great generosity without actually being remarkably generous. It's interesting. We pick it up in verse 3, and it says this. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? Now, God apparently had given Peter supernatural knowledge of what was happening here. And an Irish must have been crushed. Certainly he expected Peter to say a few words about his gift. This is not what he thought would happen. Peter saw that Satan was at work, even though a man numbered among believers gave what it looked like sacrificially. It's important to note here in verse 3, Peter did not accuse Ananias of lying to the church or to the apostles, but to the Holy Spirit himself. Look at that again. He says, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? Uh, Church, when we commit an offense to one another as followers of Jesus Christ, we are committing offense to the Holy Spirit of God. And he says, to keep it back from yourself, part of the proceeds of the land. Peter clearly believed that the Holy Spirit was a person. We talked about that when we looked at Acts chapter 2. And, uh, and obviously that offense against brothers and sisters of Christ was tantamount to offending even the Holy Spirit. 
he goes on and he says this, you kept back part of the proceeds of the land, verse 4, while it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? In other words, it was your property. After it was sold, was it not at your disposal? You could have done anything you wanted. Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. Peter freely acknowledged that the property was his. The proceeds were his. The crime was not in withholding the money, but in deceptively implying that he gave it all. His sin was greed, but his greater sin was pride in wanting everyone to consider him so spiritual that he gave it all. Now, most of us are thinking, well, I have never sold property and done this. So for a few moments, let's consider how this sin is imitated in many ways today. Again, the sin, I believe, was pretending to be more spiritual than they were. And there's, we are tempted to create or allow the impression that we are people of the Bible, reading and praying when we're not. We can create or allow the impression that we have it all together when we do not. We can exaggerate our spirituality or effectiveness to appear something we're not. In a few moments, we'll take communion. And you can take communion with others, even though there's something you probably need to repent of first. It's too easy to be happy with the image of spirituality without the reality of a relationship with Christ. Peter corrupts, or I'm sorry, pride corrupts the church more quickly than anything else. And so this shows how unnecessary their sin was. Ananias was free to give anything uh, that he had gotten. And yet Satan lied to Ananias, Ananias lied to him about uh, what could come back if he just simply kept back a portion. Uh, you still will get the accolades, Ananias. You still will get the recognition, Ananias. You still will gain all of these things. We continue to read verse 5. When Ananias heard these words... I want you to hear the weight of what happened. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard it. The young man rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. You say, Daniel, what happened? He died. He died. Peter did not pronounce a death sentence on Ananias. He simply confronted him with his sin and Ananias fell down. This was a harsh penalty for a sin that seems to be common, perhaps today. And I can't help but wonder as I read this, God, did you go too far too soon? You ever read the Bible and think that? There are all of these stories, I mean, uh, over and over, especially in the Old Testament, when it's really hard to identify um, what they were accountable to. There were all these, man, you look at Joshua chapter 7 and you think about Achan and Achan just took back a little bit of the plunder for himself. That's all he did. Two or 3,000 soldiers died because of his sin. And then they go through this, uh, they go through this uh, identifying process to identify who was the one that, uh, that sinned that led to this great defeat. And then uh, over and over in the book of Joshua and Judges, all there is is blood and murder and judgment from God. And I often think to myself, it feels like God goes too far 
too soon. And yet the great wonder about Acts chapter 5 is that God delays his righteous judgment. You see, the lesson of Ananias and Sapphira is that we presume greatly on God when we assume there's always time to repent, that there's always time to get right with God, and that there's always time to get honest with him. We are fooled by the temporary nature of our life. And for some reason, we think we will get to it next time. We'll get to it next year. We'll get to it the next time. And we presume upon God's grace that we have all of this time to make things right. Is there a relationship in your life that could be mended if you made the first move? Is there a relationship in your life that could be mended if it were not for us, you and I, simply swallowing our pride and making the first move? Not every relationship can be mended that way, but perhaps there's one. Is there something between you and God where you're still angry or bitter for the way he has handled something in your life? And in a few moments, you're going to have the opportunity to take communion, signifying communion with God and yet you still are holding on to this bitterness or this anger or this resentment and we presume upon God when we think there's too much time we have plenty of time to repent we have plenty of time to get right with God we have plenty of time to be honest it's not that God acted too soon too fast too hard here it's just a wonder why he doesn't do that with us any such time given by God is an undeserved gift that he owes none of us, and we should never assume it will always be there. God's purpose was accomplished in the church as a whole as we read on. Look at verse 7. After an interval of about three, and a half, or three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. In other words, you gave this amount of money. Is this what you sold the land for? And because she had agreed with Ananias to, to lie to the body of believers, she agreed and said yes for so much. Verse 9, Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Sapphira was a knowing, willing participant in the sin, as well as the blatant cover-up. And God's judgment on her was just as swift as it was with Ananias. We don't know much about their marriage. We don't know if they had a good marriage or a bad marriage, or if this was just a momentary time of deception for the two of them. We don't know if they agreed a lot or if they fought a lot. We don't know whose idea it was. We do know they agreed together to lie to the body of believers. And in their lie and deceit, they tested the very spirit of God. Verse 10, immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Thanks for coming to church today. Have a great week. <laughs> Verse 11, great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. It's a sobering story about generosity and what little can do 
to just undo that generosity? What are the values that you have in your life? What are the values that you uh, strive to have maybe in your marriage or in your family, in your finances? I think one of the things that we can do by mistake when we read a book like Acts is to simply say, we're going to do everything just like it says in the book of Acts and we're going to duplicate everything. I don't want to duplicate Acts 4, right? Um, I mean, in, in the book of Acts, there's no pastoral leadership yet. Um, they haven't established, um, you know, what it looks like to identify elders. They haven't done all of that. Um, so going back to the book of Acts and simply saying we're going to duplicate everything that happens in the book of Acts, Acts is not prescriptive like that. I think it's just more descriptive in, in terms of giving us values to identify. And one of the values we will see throughout the book of Acts is this. God's people, without question, should be known for their generosity. It just should be. We should be the most generous uh, with our money. Um, and we could talk about, well, I'm generous with my time. I'm generous with my other stuff. Well, we're talking about money here. And I really, truly believe God's people should be generous with our finances. The name Sapphira means beautiful in Aramaic. The name Ananias means gracious in Hebrew. Beautiful grace. And it might seem that their names contradicted in their life, but what we see is the beauty and graciousness of God in the continued blessing of God after their lives. He protected it not only against outside attack, but also against these internal obstacles. And this is the ironic thing. Verse 11 is the first time the word church is used in the book of Acts. So Acts chapter 1, uh, they're waiting for the Holy Spirit. Jesus tells them, uh, you're going to be my witnesses. Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes down. 3,000 people get saved. Acts chapter 3, I forget what happens. Acts chapter 4, um, they go to the temple, right? Oh, no, Acts chapter 3, they go to the temple. Um, they heal the lame man. Acts chapter 4, it's the discussion between them and the Sanhedrin, and they're thrown in jail. Never is the word church used to identify this group of believers until there's internal obstacles that they were able to pursue. And as soon as there was conflict within, the Bible describes them this way. Great fear came upon the whole church. And now because of its relationship and witness to Jesus Christ as the Lord and to the events of the death and the exaltation and the sending of the Spirit, as the continuation of the congregation, now having died and risen with Christ, now the church was ready to move forward identifying these values. So for you, what are the values that you have as a family, as a couple with your finances? I think one of the values you absolutely should have is responsibility, right? You should be responsible in your finances. You should pay your bills on time. You should... Uh, you should move yourself out of debt in an orderly fashion. You should be doing those things. You should be responsible with your uh, money. But I believe also we should be generous. Generosity is the evidence of the Holy Spirit working in you. And because God had touched their lives so deeply, they found it easy to share all things in common. 
And all of a sudden, there's great power and there's great grace moving among them. Why? Because they didn't put anyone higher than they ought to be. They didn't think of themselves too highly. In fact, they actually just honored one another above themselves. And then there was this moment. While this great power is moving, while this great grace is moving, while there's all this generosity, there is a temptation to simply pretend to be more spiritual than we really are. And in that place, might I say this, none of us are promised tomorrow, none of us are promised this week. And so if there's something between you and God, I would say before we take communion today, take an extra step, take an extra breath, and simply resolve that in your own heart. If there's a relationship that would be mended because of your movement towards someone, I would encourage you to pray about what that means and God moving in your heart. Here's the lesson of Hananias and Sapphira. We presume too greatly on God's grace. And so when we think there's too much time to repent and enough time to get right and enough time to get honest, don't let the enemy of our soul deceive us in that way. Let me pray for us this morning. Father, as we consider this story, it's such a sobering, striking story. And if we're not careful, it can be amusing. It can be kind of amusing that Ananias and Sapphira would go and lie about something inconsequential. It can be amusing that as soon as they lied and Peter found out about it, they died on the spot. If we're not careful, we can be so far removed from the events of Acts chapter 4 and, verse five, and chapter 5 that we simply think those types of narratives simply are not relevant for today. And so, Father, I pray on these two themes, Lord. Father, number one, the, the generosity of the church. Father, would you move in us to be generous? Over the course of the next weeks and months and years, there will be opportunities for us to hear of people in need. There will be people in our church in need going through unexpected financial circumstances. There'll be people in our community in need. Just like a few weeks ago, there'll be missionaries that are uh, in a position they did not plan and they'll be in need. And so, Father, I would pray, Lord, that as we um, identify the values that we have with our finances within our families, that you would move in us to be generous in a voluntary way that allows people to genuinely hear, feel, touch, embrace the love of Jesus. Would you raise up a church that's simply generous? I believe as we're generous with our giving, we end up becoming generous in other areas of our life. So, Father, as we become generous in our giving, would you help us to be generous in our grace with one another, generous in our uh, forgiveness towards one another, generous in our love and our kindness towards one another. I'm so grateful for our church and what you've allowed us to see, Lord, a church 
of 130 plus years, still here, still teaching and preaching the Bible, still seeing lives transformed from the inside out, still being a beacon of hope. And I thank you for the generations of generosity our church has had. I thank you for generations of people who have simply given sacrificially so we could enjoy the worship that we're enjoying today. And I pray that this group of people, these families, would continue that legacy of generosity so that the next generation would know there's a savior, would know that there's a church for people who need a second chance in life, that there's a body of believers who simply love deeply. And then, Father, as we think about this second theme of being pretending to be more spiritual than we are, Father, I do pray for us, Lord, that we would not feel like we're in a competition with others, but that we would clearly identify for our own self where we are with our relationship with you. Help us not to fall into the trap or the temptation to try to measure up with one another, but rather we would simply grow in the grace that you have given us. Romans 12 tells us not to think too highly of ourselves. I need that verse, Lord. I need it every day. I pray that you would remind us of those types of values as we consider our own walk with you. In Jesus' name I pray. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you made a decision for Christ or would like prayer with someone from our church family, we would love to connect with you. You can message us on Facebook by searching Roseburg First Christian Church, or you can email us directly at roseburgfcc at gmail.com. In addition, if you're listening to this message on Apple or Spotify, we invite you to like, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast, and share it on social media so others can be blessed as well. God bless you, and have a beautiful day.